You know, one thing that we know about Jesus is that he has a great high priestly ministry to his church today, and he can sympathize and empathize with our temptations and even our suffering. He can pour out help in time of need. Jesus addresses Smyrna's suffering in Revelation 2 today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Turn to the book of 1 Peter for a second, just a few pages back towards the Gospels. 1 Peter 5, as Peter is dealing with the suffering church, 1 Peter 5, he says these words, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That's 1 Peter 5, 7, written to a suffering church. When we're suffering, we have a lot of anxiety. And the um, remedy for our anxiety, at least one remedy, one big remedy for anxiety is to cast all your anxiety to the Lord because he cares for you. He wants you to cast all of it, not some of it. And he wants you to do it because he loves you, which is awesome. Notice the context. Be of sober spirit. The very next verse is the warning about the devil Because when we don't cast all our anxiety upon God and we carry it and we get weighed down, we become prey for the enemy. It says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sometimes when we're going through suffering, we isolate ourselves. We're like the deer by the water in those hunting videos on National Geographic when the lion's hunting and the little skittish deer is by the water. And it's all alone away from the the rest of the pack. And you say, get out of the house, (laughs) run away, right? And And it doesn't know what's about to come. So when we go through pain, we can tend to isolate ourselves. We can tend to maybe instead of praying, we do pity parties. And look, that's very human. But the encouragement here is to cast all of our anxiety. We're stronger that way. And we, we resist him, verse 9, 1 Peter 5, firm in our faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by our, our brethren who are in the world. And notice it says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. If you go to chapter 2 for a second, as Peter deals, 1 Peter 2, with suffering as his topic to this church, he says these words, 1 Peter 2, 21. He says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his step, in his steps, who committed, 1 Peter 2, 22, no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we may or might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, 
But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Turn back to Revelation chapter 2. So as we look at Smyrna, this suffering church, we can see that um, suffering it has been the, uh, I guess in many ways, the pattern for the church. Uh, very, very few Christians get off. Uh, very few Christians don't have to take this course more than once. Our brethren in the Middle East that I think many Christians in the West don't want to talk about right now are going through terrible, terrible suffering. Crucifixions, children being executed. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, sometimes the stories come over my email and I don't want to look again because I know what I'm going to see and what we're going to have to face in terms of just looking at the reality of suffering in our world. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? If you look at the word Smyrna, look at the middle of the word, take off the S and the N-A at the end, and you can see the word begin to develop, myrrh. The word Smyrna actually comes from the idea or the root of the word myrrh. And um, as you look at the idea of myrrh, it's a plant, it's an extract from a stiff branch tree with white flowers and a plum-like fruit. Uh, after myrrh was extracted from the wood, it soon hardened and was valued as an article of trade. It was an, an ingredient in uh, used in anointing oil in Exodus 30, verse 23, and was used as a perfume in Psalm 45, 8, for example. In purification rites for women in Esther 2, 12, as a gift for the infant Jesus in Matthew 2, 11, and used in embalming in John 19, 39. When myrrh is crushed, what happens is it gives off a, an aroma uh, a pleasant fragrance. And when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Luke says he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood to the ground, and he was under terrible pressure. This is the idea of the, the, the Savior being crushed with the weight of the coming cross. So he was going through his passion, which started in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then went to his beating and his trial and all of that, and then through the cross and the resurrection. And in Gethsemane, when Jesus went through his Gethsemane, a Gethsemane literally was something that was used as a pillar that crushed olives and produced the uh, quite uh, important olive oil that would run down into a chamber. And Jesus was literally at Gethsemane being crushed with the weight or the prospects of the cross and he bled, as it were, or he bled out of his sweat glands. At least that's one major view. And that's because it's possible that under the pressure, tiny capillaries under his skin were bursting, not so much from being beaten, but feeling internal pressure. Remember, Jesus was fully human. And so when you're feeling the weight of pressure, you have a high priest, Hebrews 4, who can sympathize with your weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as you are yet without sin. So when you feel great pressure, when you feel stress, that's the time to turn to God, not to run away. Jesus knows what it means to go through stress. He went through Gethsemane. He knew that you know, one of his apostles was coming to betray him. He knew that Peter was about to deny him. He knew there was a lot of stuff that was going to go down. He was going to die by crucifixion the next day. Want to talk about pressure? Knowing the way you're going to die? Knowing how you're going to suffer? So Jesus is our friend in suffering, and we can turn to him and find what we need in him. Smyrna was about 35 miles um, from north of Ephesus on that trade route that I've been talking to you about. 
And that may be part of the reason why the, uh, this is the church that's uh, dealt with second among the seven. Notice as Jesus addresses the church, he addresses them as the first and the last who was dead. That's Revelation 2.8, middle of the verse. The first and the last. We've uh, studied this a little bit, and as we have, the first and the last is another way of saying the alpha and the omega, or the beginning and the end. So when Jesus claims to be the first and the last, he's claiming to be eternal God. He's the one who started it, and he's the one who's going to finish it. He is the beginning and the end and the middle. Amen? That's who Jesus is. And so by saying I'm the first and the last, he's saying in essence to this church, I'm the eternal one, and I've got the world in my hands. I started it. I'm going to end it. I gave you life, and I know when you're going to come home to be with me, and I'm the eternal one. Every description of Jesus to the seven churches is taken from chapter 1. Go to chapter 1. Look at verse 17. When John sees the vision of the resurrected Christ, and you may be saying, well, you know, is this just a book? What right does Jesus have to speak on subjects like this? Because he proved that he is divine by the immutable fact of the resurrection. He said, kill my body, and in three days I will raise it again. So Houdini said he was coming back. We haven't heard from him. Right? There's other people who thought they would defeat death or find the, you know, the, the fountain of life and all of that, but nobody's, nobody's doing it. There are people who apparently get their heads cut off and freeze them and hope that, you know, somehow science will catch up. I don't think that's going to work either because I don't know how long those freezers actually last. I don't think they're eternal. But anyway, never mind. That's... But Jesus says these words. He says, don't be afraid. Revelation 1.17, go to the first part of the verse. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me, and he said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Notice, the living one, I was dead, that's Jesus, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. When Jesus talks to the church at Smyrna, he uses a descriptor from chapter 1 to reaffirm his identity. I can speak to you with confidence about life and death because I died and I conquered death and I brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and I got the keys to death and Hades. And so this is why when Smyrna is being addressed, they can have confidence because Jesus is the living one. I became dead and I am alive again. Jesus will never die again. Hebrews 7, 16 says he has the power of an indestructible life. Acts 2, 24 says it was impossible for death to hold him. He is the author. The Greek word is the archegos of life. He's the author of life. And being the author of life, he died once for our sins and he will never die again. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. 
Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. He is the author. The Greek word is the archegos of life. He's the author of life. And being the author of life, he died once for our sins and he will never die again. So Jesus, in the introduction to Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 8, says, I'm the first and the last. I was dead and I have come to life. And he says this, thus says the Lord, I know your trouble. Some of you need to mark that. Because some of you have been singing the song lately, nobody knows the trouble I see. (laughs) But Jesus knows. Jesus walks among the lampstands. He walks among the churches and he says, I know your trouble. In fact, this word is actually tribulation because it's the Greek word again, flipsis. And as we've looked at the concept of the tribulation and the great tribulation, I told you that every time in the book of Revelation the word tribulation shows up, it always is in reference to the church. And Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, I know your tribulation. I know you're going through tribulation. I know you're going through flipsis right now is the Greek word. And I know your poverty, but you are rich. Now, as you read commentaries on the church at Smyrna, commentators will say that their persecution or their tribulation is probably directly connected to their poverty or their impoverished state. You might ask why. Here's why. In the ancient world, if you lived in a place like Smyrna, what was happening is there was a worship of the emperor going on. And if Domitian is the emperor of the time, at the annual festival for the emperor, you had to uh, basically give a sacrifice to the emperor and laud him as some sort of god. The Jews were able to escape this in the towns, and there's many synagogues still in the area of Smyrna today. They could offer a sacrifice to the emperor as a ruler, but they were given the right to not worship him as a god. But here's what happened to the Christian church at the time. The Jewish people who rejected the Christian faith were very quick to tell on the Christians and say they are not a sect of Judaism. They are not an offshoot of Judaism. They are their own thing. We know nothing of them. We reject them. Therefore, Rome did not allow the Christians to offer the same type of sacrifice as just to a ruler, but they demanded that they worship Caesar as God. And because the Jewish adversaries of the time rejecting Christianity were quick to turn them in, the church was exposed. And what happened was, now the church was forced to make a decision. Each annual celebration, they, would, uh, they knew where the Christians were, and they said to them, you are now going to say Caesar is Lord. And when the Christians refused, they were often imprisoned, and some of them were put to death. And this is what was happening. This was their tribulation. They were not only in tribulation, but impoverished, as I mentioned in What commentators say is that they were often kicked out of the trade guilds and it was very difficult to make a living as a Christian because once you came out as a Christian and people knew who you were, they didn't want to hire you at their company. There was a lot of, uh, you know, just persecution that was happening. And so many of the Christians were paying the price in their pocketbook. They could find no work. They could find no food. 
As the book of Revelation unfolds, the Antichrist, who we believe is yet future, will tell people that they must take a mark in order to buy or sell. And without this mark, they will not be able to buy basic necessities for their family. You can imagine the type of decisions that had to be made in this first century context. If you were going to be a Christian, it was potentially going to cost you everything. In much modern Christianity, you know, we, we get a little mad if the church service goes an extra 20 minutes and we didn't get to have our cheeseburger, you know, by a certain time. And sometimes, sadly, that's the depth of our Christianity, and that's sad. But people in Smyrna were making life and death decisions, and to hold on to Jesus meant sometimes that you had no job. He said, and the blasphemy, verse 9 by those who say they are Jews, and these are probably those enemies I just described and are not, but are a synagogue, would you notice, of Satan. Satan's name means adversary or slanderer, and these Jews were doing just that to these Christians, and they were of the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is certainly not what, you know, wasn't the sign outside, this is the synagogue of Satan, come on in, you know, he'll greet, Lucifer will greet you at the door. You know, give you a business card. How you doing? Come on in. I'm going to mess up your life and your family. That's not it. But these were the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders. And remember, much of the early church was Jewish. So it doesn't mean that every Jewish person rejected Christ. The early church was largely Jewish. However, there was a group of religious people who held on to, um, call it the... more man's tradition and rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so Jesus, when he confronted them in John 8, 44, said, you're of your father, the devil. Go back and read John 8, about verses 31 through the end of the chapter. And Jesus says, you're of your father, the devil. In other words, you're a synagogue of Satan. It's Satan's work that you're doing, even though you you hide under the cloak of religiosity. You wear the right clothes. You fast twice a week. You search for converts, land and sea. And then Jesus says, and you make them twice the child of hell as you yourself are. (laughs) Ooh, ouch. But there you go. And so, sadly, it was religious people that were at the core of this persecution. You know, often as you begin to watch church history, turn to the book of Hebrews for 2 chapter 10, Much of the persecution that came to Christians came from religious people. Now, a lot of persecution did happen, Hitler and Stalin and and people like that. But if you read, like, for example, at the time when the Bible was trying to be placed into the hands of the common man, the people who were being burned at the stake were being burned at the stake by religious people. People who are being called to the witness stand and saying, if you don't recant your words against the Pope or against this, you're going to die. People were paying with their lives. The reason you have a Bible tonight is because people actually made a decision that getting the Bible to you was more important than their very lives. Wow, look at Hebrews 10, verse 32. It says, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering. Hebrews 10.33, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. 
Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith, chapter 11, verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, by faith, men of old gained approval. Back to Revelation 2, the church at Smyrna was suffering materially, but Jesus said they were wealthy spiritually. We'll see another church later that thinks they're rich, and Jesus says, you're poor. You think you're wealthy, but you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The church at Smyrna thought that they were poor, but they were actually rich. Have you ever met somebody, maybe you've done some traveling, and you meet a Christian in another part of the world, and they're one of the richest people you've ever met, and they have relatively nothing in terms of material possessions? And you're like humbled by their faith, and you're like, they have a bigger smile on their face 24-7 than I do as a Christian in the West that has, you know, all the stuff at my fingertips. What's wrong with me? Sometimes we're materially prosperous, but we're spiritually poor. Smyrna was being pressed, but they were giving off a sweet fragrance of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was anointed in John chapter 12, Jesus said, let her alone in order that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with, with you, but you do not always have me. And in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. You know, often when we're suffering, we may question what kind of representative can I be in the midst of suffering. But actually suffering gives off a unique fragrance like nothing else. You know, right now I'm teaching the book of Job on Wednesday nights at the fellowship here. And, you know, as Job suffers, he begins to ask some deep questions that are leading him to the truth of the gospel and exposing the truth of the gospel to those who read the book. And so if you're suffering right now, maybe you can see that you are giving another angle of the hope of the gospel. And people can look at your life and look at my life and say, hey, that person is holding on to Jesus and even being a witness for Jesus in the midst of suffering. We live in a suffering world. And sometimes we want to exclude suffering from our witness. But, you know, Jesus was the ultimate witness in his suffering as he suffered for us. So, my dear saint, my friend, my brother, my sister, if you are suffering, I pray that that suffering will drive you closer to him and that you'll be putting off a fragrance of the hope of the gospel beyond this life. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and the purpose of this ministry, Walk in Truth, is to equip you and others like you with God's Word. We dissect the Bible verse by verse, apply it to today's issues, trends, culture, and of course, our own personal walks with the Lord. Now, you can listen to this teaching and many others that we've done in the past when you visit our website at walkintruth.com. 
There's a lot to listen to, a lot to take advantage of. So visit today. That's walkintruth.com. Hey guys, tomorrow morning, I want to invite you to a breakfast and Bible study at 6 a.m. at Corky's Kitchen in Corona. We have several of these men's studies going through books of the Bible. And you can go to this one right along the 15 freeway. Come and get some spiritual food, get some physical food. You do have to buy your own breakfast, but it's a great time of fellowship. It starts at 6 a.m. at Corky's Kitchen in Corona. It's led by our beloved Paul Hicks. He is an awesome man of God. You can get the details if you download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in the App Store. Download it today for free. Also remember, we have a Wednesday night service at 7 p.m., and I happen to be teaching through the book of Job, which obviously has great application as we talk about Smyrna's suffering. Job goes through deep suffering, but as he does, he begins to dig down into the gospel. His friends are relying on a religious system. Job is looking into what God really has to say to him and to us. That's our Wednesday night study, 7 p.m. The church is Living Truth Christian Fellowship. We're at 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. That's 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God in Corona. If you'd like to get information on the men's breakfast, the Wednesday night service, or any other events that we have going on that you can plug into, download our app, go to the App Store, and search for Living Truth. You'll see the pillar logo. It's red. You can download that today. Stay up to date and get connected in some fellowship and discipleship. Now come back tomorrow to hear the conclusion of the teaching about the church in Smyrna and their suffering. Until then, may God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.